Hey everybody, this is To The Point. I'm your host, Noah Warren. What a day we have today. Interesting show. Going to do winners and losers of NFL Week 3. Going to chat about some college football, get some NHL notes. It's basically just a, a plethora of topics today that I find interesting. Look ahead to a little, uh, a few of the games in Week 4 of the NFL season. But we're going to start today with baseball. And baseball has been a minutia for the last couple of weeks. It's been... You're thinking it's the end of the season. Baseball will be extremely popular. It's it's a big topic. It really hasn't been. Baseball this year has been pretty predictable. The races are very much inconsequential with the expanded playoffs. This is bound to happen. Adding a third wildcard team has really made these races, made these made the playoff structure less for me it's less entertaining. It's less it's not something you want to track on a daily basis because, quite frankly, the races aren't that close and it's and it's not that captivating. You also look and you see, well, out of the six divisions, there have been five division winners crowned thus far. There's one week left in the season. So there's a week left and you already know five teams that are winning their division. Dodgers clinched the NL West. Houston clinched the AL West. Cleveland clinched the AL Central. The St. Louis Cardinals clinched the NL Central last night as the Yankees clinched the AL East. So one division remains undecided. We have the NL East with the Braves, the Bravos, and the Mets, who are currently tied in the standings with the Marlins beating the Mets last night, Braves getting by the Nationals for the second straight evening. So other than the fact that you can look at and you can pick apart bad teams, But in baseball, it's pretty easy to do that. You know the Pirates are going to stink before the year starts. There's not a whole lot of positivity there. You could do the Red Sox deep dive, but I mean, I think even Red Sox fans, and there are crazy Red Sox fans who expect their team to be good when it's quite clear that they're not going to be good, that they're not playing well. I mean, you could do the deep dive, but are they going to keep Xander Bogarts? Do they extend Raphael Devers? Who are they going to get to pitch next season? Because Michael Walker, who's on his third team, was their best starting pitcher this year. You could go through that minutia of their team. But again, is it that compelling? Is it that interesting? Not really. Not to mention, baseball, it takes over a month, if not longer, for their come up. Guys don't sign contracts until at least February at the at the earliest now we're talking about the new CBA and all the contention between baseball and the players association and just and just MLB. So what was captivating is you had two races. You had Aaron Judge going for 62 and you had Albert Pujols going for 700. Well, Friday night in Chavez Ravine, Aaron, Albert Pujols hits home runs number 699 and 700. Most people were asleep. Because the game here in the East Coast was on at 11 o'clock at night. I think he hit it at 12.30 around there, 1 o'clock in the morning. Most people aren't awake for Cardinals-Dodgers. Not to mention, Pools had gone on a bit of a cold streak. And are you going to stay up for hope? Some might. Most people wouldn't. Not to mention, if you're not a Cardinals fan, if you don't like Albert Pujols for whatever reason, you're not going to tune in. Maybe, maybe you like the Cubs, you're not going to tune in to see the Cardinals because the Cubs are so pathetic, but you get my point. 
baseball is changing the rules next year. They're making changes to the game. And quite frankly, they have to. And they're going to keep expanding the postseason. I'm not certain. I still don't think it's a great way that they've done it. The wild card game was a must-watch for baseball. The one game winning your in decision to me was great television. It's fantastic theater. Best two out of three is not more captivating than winner takes all. That's why the NFL playoffs are great because you have to win that day you advance. That's it. You don't get a second chance like baseball and in hockey where you get three more chance. You, you, you have a best of seven to figure out. Maybe the best team in a best of seven wins every time. You could make It's pretty easy to say that. In this case, well, maybe not. Were the Bills better than the Chiefs last year? Perhaps, but guess what? It's one game, and the Chiefs beat them. Giants and Dodgers both had over 100 wins last year in Major League Baseball. They had to play against each other in a wildcard game. Now, that might be unfair to both teams. They're fantastic. They were just playing in the same division, and it's poor luck. But that's the way it was set up. And the argument can be made this is put in place so that a team that has 100 wins doesn't have to play in a one-game gimmicky type game just to advance even though to me it's a better solution these a lot of sports leagues in particular major league baseball they don't think about their fans enough they don't think about the product that they have just adding more playoff teams doesn't necessarily make it a better product are these best of three series going to be any good we don't know yet we haven't seen it yet it's a guinea pig this year what I do know was the single elimination wildcard game was fantastic almost every time. Who remembers the Encarnacion walk-off? Who remembers the Dodgers pulling it out in the top of the ninth last year against the Giants, getting the lead and coming away with the victory? San Francisco Giants winning a wildcard game in extra innings, then going on to winning the World Series. Their third in five years. Does anybody recall that? That that. That happens. That happened. I have empirical proof that that was captivating television. While this year, the best thing you can come up with as you're writing a headline is, well, the the the, uh, the, the Orioles are still in it. Okay. Well, if the Orioles were to surpass the Mariners, because the Mariners who have made the playoffs since 01 and really want the Mariners to catch them by losing 5 nothing to the woeful Texas Rangers last night, is Baltimore-Toronto going to be a great best two, two out of three? Blue Jays fans, Orioles fans, do you want to see those two teams play again? They've already played 18 times against each other this year. They play another three times next week. Is that captivating best two out of three? To me, it isn't. Mariners, even Mariners, Blue Jays, isn't that fun to me? I don't need to see that. Best two out of three. When baseball postseason starts, yeah, I'm going to watch it. Of course. Got to track it for the show. We're going to talk about it. But is it what is it what fans want? I don't think so. Tuesday, Wednesday evening, when there's no lockout, was the start of the MLB postseason. It was wild card night, American League, National League. It was appointment viewing television. You got your ass to a coach and you watched those games. Now, next weekend, it's, well, we got a best two out of three. Get home. 
to make sure you, you, you watch the game. Well, why? Okay, best two out of three. Great. It's not as it's not as captivating. It isn't. If it goes to the to the third game, sure. But if, if it two team, if it's just a a romp, the first two. Okay, did we need to see that? Was that something that was necessary for all of us to take in? I'm not so certain. Organizations, players, don't have to think about fans, in my opinion. Organizations, when they make decisions on, I mean, of course, the presidents and you're selling tickets, you got to think about them. But when you're making a roster decision, fans would not come in the back of my mind at all. Because fans are irrational and fans are wrong nine times out of ten. That's just my take. I wouldn't think about them. I don't care about them. They're there. Come buy tickets. Buy a bag of popcorn. Buy a $15 overpriced beer. Sit down and shut up. But when you're Major League Baseball, when you're a television network, you might say, well, okay, we're going to get a best two out of three. Our ratings are going to be better. Are they? Well, think of this. Think of this because of the lockout. This is how it's going to go. Next weekend, there's going to be games Friday, Saturday, potentially Sunday from these wildcard best two out of threes. What happens on Saturdays? Well, well, there's college football on Saturdays. And in North America, college football is the second most popular sport behind the NFL. So are they going to turn away from the Alabama Texas A&M game just to watch Robbie Ray pitch against Ross Stripling in game two? I don't know. Maybe Canada will have good ratings. But is TBS going to get really good ratings from Robbie Ray versus Chicken Strips? I doubt it. And by the way, the Jays don't even get to broadcast. They don't. Dan Schulman and Buck don't broadcast the playoffs, so it doesn't matter. It's inconsequential. Are the U.S. audience going to turn away from Texas A&M, Alabama, to watch Seattle? I don't think so, but again, I could be wrong. But I do know ratings, and I, I do know college football, and I am a viewer. So that's Friday. So that's Saturday, but there's also games Friday night. Nebraska, people still tune in. Nebraska, Rutgers, people will tune into that game over baseball. They will. Call me crazy. So there's that problem with it. Then, okay, you get to a game three. This is what baseball, we want a game three in every series. We want it to be so captivating, the best two out of three. Game three, winner takes all. It's just like the original wild card, people. Okay, I'll bite. What comes on Sundays? Oh, wait, it's this Goliath. It's the monster. It's the machine. And not rage against the machine. It's the machine we call the NFL. People are going to turn their TVs onto TBS, Game 3, Seattle, Toronto, instead of, let me think. Let me think what it would be. Oh, instead of just NFL, any game, Jets v. Houston would get better ratings than that MLB game. Look up average viewing for just an average NFL game. They will kill that baseball playoff game. They just will. This setup is stupid on a lot of fronts. Have your wildcard game games 
Friday night. Back-to-back baseball. Back-to-back nights, winner-take-all. But you had to add a new playoff team. Sometimes more is not always better. It isn't. Sometimes what you had was the right thing. Baseball does a ton wrong. Don't get me wrong. Their product is way less entertaining than it used to be. Nobody steal bases, hitting it, you know, playing a hit and run is now you should you know clap for somebody to, to be aggressive on the on the bases. That's what's applauded now. That that's new baseball. The product's boring, takes four hours to play a game. But what you did do right was you had a one game winner take all. And you screwed that up. Maybe this will work out in the long run. To me, right now, in the the heart of the world where baseball, the former America's favorite pastime, is fourth. Baseball is behind NFL, of course. It's behind college football. And it's also behind the NBA. It's gone from first to fourth. Why? Because they were either unwilling or not able to pivot, not able to see what was going on, to see what these other leagues were doing, and change your product to make people want it. This happens all the time. Happened to Blockbuster. Happened to Napster. All these big companies that had success, that had a great product, and then before you know it, you forget about them. These two I just mentioned are gone, but Netflix... They're big in the streaming game. Are they big in the streaming game anymore? Well, Amazon's hot on their heels. You have Apple now. Crave is pumping out product every now, every uh, every other day. Eventually, you you don't pivot. You don't put a great product out there. Netflix can only put out so many shitty Netflix originals before you, somebody says, you know what? I maybe not might give my eight fifteen eighteen dollars whatever it is now. I just pay it because I don't look at it. Whatever it is a month now, I might go to Amazon instead. I might want to watch Rings of Power. Or I'll go to Crave where I can get Barry, I can get Game of Thrones, and I can get the James Bond movie instead of whatever Netflix crap that they got pumping out this, pump, pump, uh, they're pumping out this month. That's what baseball's done. Wow, our game used to be so exciting. People used to have great batting averages. Ricky Henderson was stealing bases. Wow, we were so great, and now it's it's a shell of itself. Our starting pitchers can only go four and a half innings in a fucking playoff game. We got to bring out 80 relievers. We're slow as hell. We're, we're putting in a pitch clock, but it might not even count towards the postseason. So what's the point? I like baseball. I don't like it as much as I used to. 98, 99% of the sports I watch, I have to get home to watch it because I don't feel I can comment on it without watching the game. For instance, last night I watched preseason hockey. I watched some of the Jets Senators game. I also tuned in to a bit of the Hurricanes Tampa Bay Lightning game last night, NHL preseason. Yes, I have a problem. I'm aware of that. Baseball? I'm a. I'm not watching baseball every night. I've talked about my my likes. Shoei Otani pitches, I'm tuning in. Get my computer out, MLB.com, it's on. Sandy Alcantara, 
I try to check into his starts. He's great. He's fun to watch. He's a quick pitcher. He doesn't need 80, 80 minutes to get his wind up in. But am I a... I'm not a Jays fan. I'm not, I'm a fan of nobody. So I'm not, I'm not watching a Jays game every night. If you're a fan, I get it. That's just your thing. If you like the Yankees, this Aaron Judge tracker, my God, hit a home run already. I'm watching football. They're cutting in with Aaron Judge. They're cutting with, they're breaking up my Clemson Wake Forest game with Aaron Judge at bats. Don't strike out looking. Swing the bat, my man. You clinch the AL East. Swing at those bad pitches in the dirt. Who cares? Get to 62. It's been a week of this, Aaron Judge. My God. I feel for him, but at the same time, oh, we got to cut into this Aaron Judge at bat. I don't care. It's the Yankees. I don't live in die by the, I don't live in the Bronx. I'm not Casey Ward. I don't need to watch the Yankees every damn at bat. Screw the Yankees. I don't care whose team it is. I don't care what team that it is that I need to tune into every person's at bat. Paul Goldschmidt's going for the Triple Crown. Okay, do it then. I don't need to see every damn. Don't cut into the sports I want to watch with your shitty at bat. With your four-pitch walk. Take a lap. My God. Every other day. Oh, Aaron Judge, did he hit his home run? My mother, who doesn't watch baseball, asked me, did the judge hit a dinger last night? No. Walked three times, four at-bats. Yankees beat the Jays, clinched the AL East in Toronto. Way to go, Jays. But come on. Hit a home run. Pools did it. He had two in one night. 700 home runs. I'm being facetious here. It's tough. I realize that. They're not giving him good pitches to hit. But I don't want to cut in every night of Aaron Judge taking his... I don't care. I don't care. Tell you what. Someplace I know where you don't see a cut in. Tonight on CBS. Survivor. Episode 2. I'm not going to see an Aaron Judge cut in. Guess what? I don't want to see an Aaron Judge cut in. Because I don't care. I'm curious about this. I believe tonight on Sportsnet, there's a Leafs-Montreal preseason game. And I have an opinion about the way they scheduled the preseason. I'll get to that in a minute. Why? I, want, no, I wonder if they'll cut into the Aaron Judge at bat during the Leafs preseason game. I'm going to guess no. I plan to watch some of that preseason game tonight. I'm curious to see if they do, because it is a Sportsnet product, it's a Sportsnet channel, of, a family of channels there. But will they cut in? Will they will they cut into a Leaf game? Will they take away half a screen of a Leaf game for an Aaron Judge at bat? I don't know if a Canadian station will do that because it's not a J. It's a big bad American team. We can't show them having success. That's my take. That's what I think they'll go with it. I could be wrong. Give it a take on that. Do you think tonight during the Maple East Montreal preseason game, do you believe they will cut in with the Aaron Judge home run, uh, Aaron Judge at bats? Will all of Aaron Judge's at bats be shown during the least preseason game tonight? I don't think so. Don't think so. What I just said also. 
They can't take away a Leafs half screen. Sportsnet knows where they make their money. Sportsnet knows they talk about a team all week for hours a day on these shows. They're not going to take away that. They had the Jays all summer. Jays aren't leading off shows anymore. It's least preseason. This Dennis Malgin, is he going to crack the lineup? Nick Robertson looks good in practice. John Devera has hurt three weeks in oblique injury. This weekend, next couple days in baseball, the most interesting story is Braves versus Mets because it's an actually a race. They play this Friday to Sunday this coming weekend, including Saturday night on Fox. I'll be watching some of that game. It's rare for me to say this late in MLB season, I'll be watching an MLB game. I'll be watching that game alongside a North Carolina State Clemson. Good on baseball for doing that. Good for the Bravos for making it interesting. The winner of this division will get a bye. They won't have to play in the best two out of the three lauded wildcard series. It's a big, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Braves won the NL East last year. Took them late into the season. They won They won the World Series. I like the Braves or the Mets. I like either team. I said the Padres wouldn't get past the first round of the postseason. I don't think they'll get all the wild card. I also said the Dodgers won't get to the World Series. We'll see if I'm right. We'll see if I'm wrong. It's just two takes from me. But grand conclusion of Major League Baseball... You're diluting a regular season that's already too long. You don't need to play 162 games. And also, Aaron Judge, hit a fucking home run. Let's go here. Now let's get to preseason, NHL preseason. And I have some issues with the preseason. And I'm going to start with scheduling. For two years... NHL preseason, and even most of the season, we saw the same godforsaken teams play each other. We had the Canadian division. We had the uh, South division with Tampa and Florida, Carolina, and my dream division of where I want to live someday. Just all the warm weather cities. Then you had the Pacific, which would be nice to, you know, the California teams and Arizona. We had those different divisional alignments that nobody liked except likely Sportsnet and TSN because it was least Montreal every other night. I couldn't stand it. Nevertheless, we saw Toronto v. Montreal, Toronto v. Ottawa, uh, Tampa v. Carolina so many times. So many times. And yet, we are in 2022. We're in a preseason, fresh year. It's the first NHL, first pro league season in three years where we don't have to hear about COVID every day. So because we don't have to hear about COVID, because people are traveling all around the world, because Canada's dropping their vaccine mandate to enter the, enter the, the country, why aren't teams playing each other from farther away? Why isn't Toronto playing Philly in the preseason? Why isn't Tampa playing Arizona? There should be more travel in the preseason because we've seen these matchups so many damn times. Not to mention, Toronto plays Montreal this evening. They played them a few more times in the preseason. They played Ottawa twice. Guess who they play opening night? They play the Montreal Canadiens. And then three days later, they play the Ottawa Senators. Why? 
do we need to see these matchups in the preseason and then we get them in the regular season so soon? It's not that hard to make a schedule where you have teams that don't play each other all the time. Or how about this? Look at your schedule for the regular season and say, well, Toronto's going to play Washington a few times this year. Okay, great. But they don't play each other until December. So people are going to forget this matchup. It'll be fresh by the time you get there. Why not schedule that? Well, we don't want to travel that much. No, it's a quick two games. Two games in Washington. How about that? Tuesday night, game. Thursday night, game. Preseason. Don't got to leave the city. Stay there. Then you play your next two games. Say you're playing them at home, and you play them against Columbus. Two in Toronto. They fly in. They play twice. They leave. Does that... I mean, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but I came up with that in about five bleeping seconds. Why is it the teams in the same division playing each other? Why? It shouldn't be this way. It's stupid. I don't need to see all these same teams play each other all the time. I'm going to see them 80 times in the regular season. If you're in the same division, you're playing each other four to five times a year. That's enough. Yes, there'll be players that are playing in these games that don't play, but there's a lot of guys because you have to have a veteran minimum of players. Like Winnipeg, Ottawa last night. I'm cool with that because they only played twice in the regular season. So kudos on that one. But Toronto, Montreal preseason, never, ever, ever. No, no. Heater, Tampa, Florida preseason. No, no. Calgary Edmonton, no. Calgary Vancouver, no. No division matchups in the preseason, period. Period. Bounce around the league. Two games in that city so you can cut down on travel if that's what's holding you up. Ugh, I can't fix everything, but I guess I just get so angry with that because it's not a great product. It's not something that I think people clamor for. You see, your team's going to play the team they're going to play opening night, and you play them two, three times in the preseason. Jake Allen is going to start one of those two games. He might start tonight for Montreal. They'll see Cole Coffey. They'll see Nick Suzuki. Oh, wait, he's hurt. He's out a week. Because half the preseason seems to be players out at least a week. But that's my gripe with the preseason schedule. Maybe they just can think nobody will watch them. Unfortunately, I do. But that's just something I've noticed. COVID's over. We can travel. Everybody's booking flights. People are going everywhere. Let's do. Let's let's go someplace. Go across. It's it's preseason. It's not that. It's not that strict. Sheldon Keith got to throw a fit at practice yesterday, so maybe it's more intense for the Leafs than other teams. But need I say more? Not that hard. Come on, NHL. Let's figure it out. Training camp notes. I mentioned injuries. Ilya Mikheyev's out a few weeks in Vancouver. John Tavares is out three weeks in Toronto. Nick Suzuki's going to miss a week. There's players galore that are injured. Somehow they come into training camp with injuries. Don't really know how that happens. This season is incredibly important for John Tavares, in my in my opinion, for the Toronto Maple Leafs. He's their most important forward, in large part because the Toronto Maple Leaf roster 
is weaker than what it was last year. Their depth is less. They they sure they have Matthews and they have Marner and they have Nylander, but they've had those same same three guys forever. You look at the bottom of their lineup. Spets is not there anymore. Andre Kasha, when healthy, is a better player than Carl, Cali Yarncroak, in my opinion. Offensively, for sure. I look at the bottom of that lineup. I don't know who's going to score any goals. Yarncroak's not a goal scorer. Wayne Simmons, his foot speed's terrible. Kyle Clifford's not a goal scorer. Nick Robertson, I mentioned yesterday, if he's not playing in the top six, he shouldn't be playing on your team. You go through who's potentially Zach Aston Reese, good player, not a guy who chips in offensively a whole lot. The depth at the bottom of their lineup is thin. It's not what it used to be. And John Tavares has to be a dominant center, has to be a dominant player in the regular season. He hasn't been since year one. Scored 47 goals, over 80 points in his first season as a Toronto Maple Leaf. Since then, he's been underwhelming. He's lost foot speed. And to me, has been one of the biggest detriments on this team. He's been a solid player, but he's not been the guy they signed. Matthews gets 60 goals. He wins a Hart Trophy. People are saying he's in the McDavid conversation. While Tavares, who makes $11 million, is like, oh, well, yeah, we have John Tavares on our team. To think John Tavares has been healthy for the last couple of years. Steven Stamkos looked like he was on his deathbed. And now Steven Stamkos has won two Stanley Cups, is very, has had two fantastic seasons in a row. And you're looking at him going, Maybe he could play another number of years at a dominant level. How things change. He needs to be a really good number two center. And something I think Sheldon Keefe needs to look at this year. If it's not working, if Tavares needs a spark, Marner needs to be brought down. Your two best players don't have to be playing with each other all the time. Marner and Matthew should not just be put on the same line just by default. Because your team is not good enough to do it this year. Not to mention, look at the best players in the world. Matthews is on that list now. I'll put out my top 10 players list in the next coming weeks. Sidney Crosby never played with the best players. He's older now. He plays with Gensel. Gensel's a really good player. But Gensel is better than Pascal Dupuis and Chris Kunitz combined. And he carried those two guys on his line forever. Connor McDavid has played with Zach Cassian. He's played with Patrick Maroon. He's played with... Um, Pugliarvi. There's a number of guys that aren't top six material that McDavid has drug along. Austin Matthews, if you're that guy, if you're that good of a player, you should be able to do that. Okay, you can keep bunting on your wing. That's fine. But are there other options? Who Can you throw somebody? Can a Nick Robertson join that line? Could Kerfoot play with the two of you and you guys be a dominant line just because of how good Austin Matthews is. That should be the focus. That should be the expectation because you have him. You have 34. You have that special talent. And yes, it's lesser pieces around him, but he's good enough to overcome the deficiencies of the rest of this team. So I think Sheldon Keefe's coaching this year, it's not, okay, well, we have our two best players together. We got to play them 25 minutes a night. I don't know if that's the smartest thing because those guys burn out over time where they have to score every goal and eventually they don't have anything left in the tank. Where you can look at it and say, we'll put Marner down with with Tavares. We'll keep bunting with Matthews, maybe throw Nylander on his line, Kerfoot's with the other two guys. That's a good top six. 
to me, that's a smarter way to do it. And Tavares gets more confident. He's more productive because he's playing with a better player. And I think Tavares playing with with, Neil, uh, with I mean Matthews playing with William Nylander should be really good line as well. The Leafs will have all regular season to experiment because they're going to make the playoffs. That's not going to be the focus. This team is simple. There are a number of teams that their season doesn't start until the postseason. Toronto's on that list. You make an argument. Pittsburgh is on that list because their their sole purpose now is to win a Stanley Cup. They got an old roster, and you know they've thrown the kitchen sink trying to get this team better, trying to get to the compete to get out of the first round, like the Toronto Maple Leafs. Washington, even though I, I think less of that team. Tampa. Tampa still in that window. Colorado. Teams that legitimately can look at it and say, our season doesn't start to the playoffs. We can have a great regular season. It doesn't matter. You think in Florida that they care how the regular season goes? They won the President's Trophy last year. They're, they're not going to win the President's Trophy again. Florida, on paper, will be worse at the end of the regular season. When it comes to points, when it comes to overall record, they will not be as good this year as they were last. That does not mean they won't be as productive as they were in the playoffs. Maybe they get hot and they go on a run in the postseason because that's just the way the team's built. Now, Colorado finished second in the league last year. They go on to win the Stanley Cup. That can happen as well. But for a lot of these teams, their season starts in April. It doesn't start right now. Feel good stories like the Ottawa Senators, the regular season matters the whole time because you need to prove that you can play well in the regular season because you haven't since 2017. You've been an afterthought forever. For Los Angeles, you made the playoffs last year. It was a good story. It came out of nowhere. Can you back it up? Their regular season does matter. Does Kevin Fiala fit in? What kind of year does he have in Los Angeles? Uh, Jonathan Quick's on the last year of his contract. Can he be a goalie that leads him in the leads him to the postseason once again with Calvin Peterson behind him? Those are all will all be storylines. Certain teams have different expectations, but it's on Sheldon Keith this season to notice his know your team. You know Marner and Matthews play well together. You can always turn back to what got you to the dance. But you also got to look and say, well, it's like it's like a job. You get a, you get a job, an entry level job, and you and you're and you're and you're working. You're 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 filing paper. You're in the mailroom, right? And you're you're doing good work, and you, your work ethic, your know how, your uh, your ability to talk to people got you in the door. But what's going to get you to that next position? What's going to get you to a pay raise? What's going to get you to your own office, to becoming partner, whatever you know, whatever the the job might be? You have to be aware of your surroundings, be aware of what you present, what you can bring, what you have at your disposal. In in the case of people, you need to know what you have inside your head, what you can do, stuff you can apply to your job, stuff that you can present to your to your boss and say, this is how I can make things more efficient. This is how I can help you do this. Well, in Sheldon Key's position, he knows that Marner and Matthews playing together got him to the playoffs, got him, got Matthews individual accolades, and that's all well and good. But what he has to do now is look and say, these two guys got me in the door, 
got me a head coaching position? How do they get me from just being a head coach, getting to the postseason? How does this group, how do all these chess pieces get me to giving me an extra queen, to getting me that extra, getting me, uh, you know, the ultimate prize, winning the winning the chess game? To me, it's it's seeing your team and saying, okay, on paper we're weaker. On paper, we're a worse team than we were last year. But if we throw this piece with this piece, and we throw this queen with a pair a pair of bishops, and we have a rook, well, that that might work. My chess analogy is Marner and Matthews are two queen pieces when you look at the chessboard. Where you got Kerfoot, who might be a a, a bishop or a, or a rook. No, he's not a. He's, the, the rook's my favorite chess piece. I'm not gonna say he's a he's a let's say he's a bishop. So you have Kerfoot over there, Chris and Nylander, who are rooks. So if you get two rooks, you get a bishop. You gotta spread the wealth, is what I'm saying. Putting the two pieces, the two best pieces together doesn't always work. You're going down the chessboard, you have your rook going hand in hand with the queen. Sometimes those pieces get taken out. Sometimes those pieces get used too often, and the pieces behind you stay in their original position, and you the game's over before you know it. Sheldon Keefe needs to use all the pieces at his disposal, and it's about putting the best pieces together to build the foundation of a really strong team and to win the ultimate game. Most teams don't have two great pieces like that. Most teams don't have a superstar and a star player. Does Buffalo? Does Detroit? Does Ottawa? Does Montreal? Does Philly? Does Washington? You might say yes to some of these teams I just mentioned, but you kind of have to think about it, right? Washington has Ovechkin. Who's number two? TJ Yoshi? See us. Is he the William? Is he the Mitch Marner in this scenario? I don't think so. Ottawa. Timmy Stutzel has to become the Queen piece. He needs to become. He's not there yet. Josh Norris? No. Josh Norris might be a rook. Good piece. Really good piece. But he's not a queen. When you realize what you have at your disposal, and you know that these two guys can get me somewhere. But just getting me to one destination doesn't guarantee me results at a the next the next result, the next destination that I really want to get to. He knows he can get them to the postseason. He knows that though that lineup can get him to a game seven. He's seen it multiple times. It doesn't guarantee my win. Because they haven't done it yet. So yeah, at least Tavares out the first couple. You'll miss the first couple weeks of the season. Not a big deal. It's early on. He can come back and work his way back in. Seattle, Seattle Kraken. Not a real interesting team, but a guy that I think is going to have a huge year coming out of college. It's Matty Beniers. We hear about you know the rookie class, and obviously Seattle is going to be I have a focus because they have you know. You get the fourth pick in the draft. You get a player that isn't exactly thrilled to be in Seattle at the time. He's giving death stares to the Montreal Canadiens and Shane Wright. 
and you think, well, Shane Wright is the rookie coming in. Yeah, he is. He'll be a rookie this year. He'll play in the NHL, even though I don't think he's ready to. Well, Matty Beneers played at Michigan last year with Kent Johnson, with Owen Power, and he's at, he's at a really at a quality season there. He played at the back half of last year for the crack in the last six, seven games. Well, Matty Beneers is just a flat-out goal scorer. He's got a great shot. He's not a huge guy, but he, he's, he's a crafty ability to get his shot off. He reminds me of Alex DeBrinkat a little bit, but I think he has a little more high-end skill than DeBrinkat. Matty Beneers, I think, is going to be a dark horse for Rookie of the Year. Potentially being on Seattle might hurt him, but Mo Sider won the award last year. He played on the Red Wings, who did not make the postseason. Did not come close. Matt Wright and I talked last week about player props and gambling. Scooping up Matty Beneers now is something I'd look into. I'm watching him play in the preseason. This dude is NHL ready. He's got an NHL shot. I think he's got really great awareness. And I, you know, Dave Haxtell, I think to me it's impossible for him not to make the team because the team is just not very good. I expect him if let me put it this way, if Shane Wright makes this team and Matty Beneers doesn't, there's a problem. He doesn't need AHL time. Matty Beneers will be playing. I think he's gonna have a good season in Seattle. I don't expect the team to have a whole lot of success. Wouldn't shock me if they're picking in the top five again in next year's NHL entry draft. But Matty Beneers is the real deal. And I, I just I've watched a few of uh, a bit of a preseason game, and I've seen I've seen clips of him. He's ready to play. I mentioned injury news in Vancouver. Ilya Mikheyev is going to be out a few weeks. Also, Brock Besser is going to miss at least a month with a broken hand. Had to have surgery. So Besser's out a while. Mikheyev is out a while. Two key wingers for this team are going to miss time for Bruce Boudreaux. And you know, old Brucey. He, you know, he's been a competitive coach his whole career. He's a great personality, and he's already put it on the team out there saying it would be a major disappointment if we missed the postseason. I'm going to talk more about the – me and Seamus are going to talk about the Pacific Division next Tuesday. But I'll tell you what. I don't think Vancouver's better than Edmonton. I don't think Vancouver's better than Calgary. I'm not so certain Vancouver's better than Los Angeles. So those three playoff teams right away, and you have to make the playoffs. Vancouver has some good pieces. They always have, but they just seem to find a way to to screw it up. But losing Besser for a month is a big deal. He's, he plays in your top six. He's, he's a guy that always starts off a season strong, normally scoring goals, and he'll get on a cold streak. But two of your two top wingers, a guy, McKayev, you gave a ton of money to in the offseason, and Besser, a guy you just re-signed, both going to be out a period of time here. Not the greatest news for the Vancouver Canucks. Does give opportunities. A guy for me is heading into his second NHL season. I'm interested to see Vatsili Podkolzin, the Russian right winger. I want to see his development this year. I think he'll play more of a role. I I, I hope he gets more of an opportunity in the top, in a top nine role out of that fourth line because I think he has more to offer. He was a first-round pick of this team, so they should give him some runway to see what he can bring. But he's got a physical body. He's a, he, I think he's going to be a physical presence. He can score along along the net. So I'm intrigued to watch him this season with the Vancouver Canucks as well. And then some New Brunswick preseason news. The other night for the Colorado Avalanche, 
St. John native Spencer Smallman, who won a Calder Cup last year with the Charlotte Checkers, scored a preseason goal for now the Colorado Avalanche. He signed a two-year deal with the Avalanche organization, a two-way deal with the Colorado Eagles. He'll likely play on their AHL team this season, but he scored in the preseason the other night. Good moment for him against the Chicago Blackhawks. You know, you win a, you win a Calder Cup, and then you went to the team that won the Stanley Cup. So a good moment for Spencer. Luca Carme is playing in the in the preseason for the Vegas Golden Knights. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility he's competing for a roster spot. I think it's outside looking in that he does make the team. But seeing him play, he looks good. And then Marc-Andre Gadet, who is from just outside of St. Louis, around that area, I believe. Uh, I know he's from from a he's a, from a French community. Again, from New Brunswick, played for the Bathurst Teton last season. I've, I've seen him play three times last year in the queue. I think he's really, really good. He's, he was a fifth-round pick of the St. Louis Blues. He played twenty over 20 minutes in, the, in a preseason game the other night. For just for comparison, Colton Pareko played 21. So Marc Andre played a ton. He got a primary assist on a goal, his first career preseason point. This is the first year after his draft year. He's obviously going to be sent. He was traded to Shakutami in the offseason. So he'll be playing for for the Saguan this year. But just just a good story. You see Spencer, you see Marc Andre get points in the preseason. They're getting opportunities to play. And that's in and of itself a really good story. So credit. Credit to these two guys, and like I said, Marc Andre plays for Shakutami. He's a he's a guy that is a really good skater. He's a bigger body. I wouldn't say he's offense first, but he does have a good shot from the point. He can bring it when he wants to, and I, I think he's he can be a guy that can make the NHL. He reminds me a little bit of Mackenzie Weger. I watch Weger play a lot in the queue in Halifax, obviously, and. I always thought Uyghur was a really good defenseman. Went was a seventh round pick to Florida. You draft a guy in the seventh round; it's like giving a guy a flyer. You don't, I don't think you really expect him to, to turn out. But we see now Uyghur's twenty nine years old. He's been in the NHL for over five years. He's a seasoned pro at this point. I think Mark Andre, who went two rounds earlier, could be on the same trajectory. And St. Louis knows how to develop defensemen. They had Pareko, who was a big body. They had, they drafted, they worked on uh, Petrangelo. Mikola is another guy that they had in their system playing in the American Hockey League that's since made it to the NHL. So, good good stories for New Brunswick natives in in the preseason getting an opportunity. And this is this is the the preseason week that's more interesting to me because you see some of these young guys get to play. The NHL teams will likely make cuts Friday or Saturday this week. We've already seen a few cuts for guys that have been sent back to their junior affiliates. But in the second week, when you have just fringe age, you know guys are going to be in the AHL and they're playing in preseason games just to fill a roster spot. It's way less compelling to me. So, but but good for good for these New Brunswick guys. You're getting an opportunity to play. You get to go to training camp and get the team to, to see you, you know, uh, compete. So good on Marc-Andre, good on Spencer and, and Luca Cormier, just to name a few who are, who are competing in in the preseason for the respective teams. College football. College football. I mentioned this weekend, there's going to be, uh, early in the week, a ton of great games. We'll talk about them on Friday. Matt Wright is off this week. He's going to a tournament 
in Boston. He'll be attending the Boston College Louisville game. I am envious of him. Gets to see Malik Cunningham play for play for Louisville, who's a whole lot of fun. So happy for him. But this weekend we got Alabama, Arkansas, number two team in the country by the AP poll. Even to me, they're number two versus Arkansas, who's ranked number 20. We got number 23, Wake Forest, versus number 24, Florida State. So a battle of two ACC teams down there in the in the swamp. We got Clemson, who is number five in the country, playing number 10, North Carolina State. In a big game, we got number nine, Oklahoma State, playing number 17, Baylor. It is a great weekend in college football. There are going to be some great games. I can't wait to watch them all. And just looking at this past weekend, it was a disaster for a few teams, but none bigger than the university who were ranked 25th, came into the game this weekend as a 25-point favorite against Middle Tennessee State University. And not only did Middle Tennessee State University, it's a mouthful, who play in the Sun Belt, sorry, play in the MAC, play in the MAC conference, not only did they cover the 25 points, they won the game outright. They beat the University of Miami by 14 points on the road, meaning the the University of Miami paid Middle Tennessee State $1.5 million to fly to Miami plus $40,000 in expenses to come down there and kick their ass. Drop Miami completely out of the rankings. They're now 2-2 two and two on the season after they lost to A&M at Texas Station. The good thing for some of these coaches in college football now is they're signing such large deals. Mario Cristobal, the Miami head coach, he signed an eight-year, $50 million deal this past offseason. Mel Tucker signed a 10-year, almost $100 million deal at Michigan State, who he lost by 24 points at home to Minnesota this past week. These coaches are getting bailed out by programs for being dumb enough to give them these long-term extensions. Now, for the University of Miami, they're trying to rebuild a program that's been dead for a very long time, but I don't care how bad your program is. You cannot lose at home after being a 25-point favorite to Middle Tennessee State University. It just can't happen. It just can't. Here's a key difference. Miami loses a game they're favored by 25, and they get crushed because they're Miami. How about USC? They're in a trap game, a division game, I might add, against Oregon State. They go to Oregon State. It's a tough place to play. They have passionate fans. And what happens? USC wins the game, narrowly winning it. 19-14, to 14, they ha- hang on to win the game. Their defense stepped up, which it hadn't all year. That's showing two different teams. USC won a tough game. They battled through it. They found a way to win. USC has been has been just as bad as the University of Miami the last number of years. And what I hear the excuses is, well, Miami's trying to, re, you know, they got to find all these pieces. USC did it in an offseason. They got Lincoln Riley. They got Caleb Williams to transfer. They got Jordan Addison to transfer. They got Travis Dye to transfer. Why aren't other players, why couldn't the University of Miami get guys to go there? You got Cristobal. He was at Oregon forever. He had good teams. You're telling me pe- players don't want to, kids don't want to go to school at the University of Miami? 
Sign me up. Great weather. You live in South Beach. Go hang out with Pitbull. You got beaches, women galore. I mean, is there anything better than that? So I don't buy the argument that, well, USC and Miami are in the exact same position. Just crushed. But USC wins a close game. Clemson wins a close game. I I give credit to those teams for doing that. My real gripe of the week with the AP pool, Kansas is not ranked. Why? They're 4-0. Kansas State, who's 3-1, is ranked. They're both in the Big 12. Okay, Kansas State beat Oklahoma. I get it. Kansas has the same amount of touchdowns this season as Ohio State. Most in the FBS with 27 through four games. They're tied for the best offense in the FBS. It's fucking Kansas, a basketball school. Why aren't they ranked? I'm good with Florida State getting promoted. They should be ranked. Should have been been ranked before. Screw the University of Miami. Arkansas is still ranked. I'm good with that. Again, they lost. That's a tough loss to A&M. But Kansas State is ranked over Kansas? No. I'm not cool with that. They shouldn't be. Kansas is undefeated. They have the most touchdowns alongside Ohio State in the nation. 3-27 their previous 30. They're now 4-0 on the season. Lance Leipold is doing a fantastic job in Kansas. The U were 2-1, and one, and they were 25th. Kansas can't be 25th at 4-0? and oh? This doesn't make any sense to me. These polls in college football are so flawed. Alabama should not be number two. Georgia still won, even though Kent State covered against them. Then Ohio State, because Notre Dame's a better team than Texas. I'm willing to admit that. Notre Dame is better than than Texas, so Ohio State's tight win was better than Alabama's tight win, where Texas just lost to Texas Tech. One of their biggest rivals, they lost to Texas Tech at home. Some of these rankings, they're so bad. But it's college football. And there's some, like I said, there's some great UCLA Washington Friday night, 1130 kickoff. Late kickoff. I'm watching the game. It's a must watch for me. Of the weekend, if I had to pick three games that I couldn't miss, uh, where would I go? I, I would go UCLA Washington for me. I would go Oklahoma State and Baylor, and I would go North Carolina State and Clemson. Uh, if I had to, I'd skip the Alabama-Arkansas game because I think he, I know who's going to win that. And there's some other games in there that I find compelling that I'm, I'm forgetting top of my head, but I would skip for this one. And I think this one is just a, a fantastic, fantastic. Oh, Wake Forest-FSU. That's another good game that I wouldn't want to miss. Sam Hartman's really fun to watch. I want to see if Florida State can keep up offensively with Wake Forest. But I mentioned, you get Florida State, you beat another team that's ranked, you're only going to continue to rise. People will put more and more respect on your name, and you'll be in the conversation with Clemson in the ACC. Because North North Carolina State will have a loss. 
Wake Forest, if you beat them this weekend, will have two. North Carolina has one. The University of Miami already has two. You're going to be in a, in a small pool with Clemson, who looks like... I mean, Clemson wins this week. I do think they have Florida State on their schedule, so that would be com- incredibly compelling. But Clemson I, you know, Clemson's has a tough game this weekend. If you can get by this one... I think Clemson's going to get back to the college football playoff just a year after being, you know, regarded as a as a team that was in really big trouble. And credit to DJ Ugalele, who has found his game, who's playing incredibly good quarterback right now for Clemson. He gutted out a win against Wake Forest, who Wake Forest can play offense with anybody. Sam Hartman threw six touchdown passes. He throws a seventh one. They win the game. They're ranked inside the top twenty, and they're like he's likely in the Heisman conversation. You throw six, you throw a late pick, and you lose the game. You're ranked 23rd. You're you have one loss, and you're not really in the Heisman conversation. And your chances at making the college football playoff basically just went up in smoke. Now you need Clemson to find a couple losses of your Wake Forest just to have a chance. You're praying that North Carolina State can pull off an upset this coming weekend. So one score game last year, North Carolina State. North Carolina State beat Clemson last year. One score game. It was a crazy upset. North Carolina State's a hell of a lot better right now than they were last year. But Clemson is so much better this year than they were last. What happens? I don't know. But this college football weekend is going to be fun. That I guarantee you. And we'll talk about it on Friday as we get in. Walker joins me. We'll get into some college football bets alongside our, our usual uh, weekly uh, big money lines, predictions, and where we go on gambling angles this coming Friday. Now to wrap up today's show, we're it's winners and losers. That's what we do here on Wednesday here on To The Point. Winners and losers of NFL Week 3. And just a reminder, I can go, you can go anywhere with this. So it can be team it can be players it can be a coach just how i how i see this how i saw this week so let's start with losers losers for me i'm starting with the afc west this weekend the afc west the only team that won in the afc west was the denver broncos and they won a game 11 to 10 in one of likely the worst football game i've ever watched the Denver Broncos, who are lifeless, who don't know clock management, their coach has already admitted he's in and over his head. Russell Wilson looks old. That's what the NFC. That's what the, that's the team in the AFC West that won this weekend. Kansas City loses a game to the Indianapolis Colts, where their kicker looked like he had his head firmly up his ass. Matt Amendola. What happened there? I don't know. But you lose a game to the Colts that you had no business losing because your special teams, you muff a punt, you miss an extra point, you miss a field goal. Mahomes is losing it on Eric Bieniemy at the sideline. Disaster. Chiefs. I mean, you're the Chiefs. You can't lose this game. You're 2-1. Now you go play the Bucs in a tough Week 4 matchup where we don't, we don't know where the game's going to be yet because of Hurricane Ian. So, number that Chiefs. Chargers, you lose 38-10 at home to the Jacksonville Jaguars? These Losers just about week three. If there's a project, just losers in the NFL, I'm worrying about the Chargers. 
J.C. Jackson injured. Rashawn Slater injured. Justin Herbert's injured. Everybody's injured on this team. They always seem to find injuries on this team. They never make the postseason. It doesn't look good. Herbert's playing with broken ribs. He's playing out there to the last snap because Brandon Staley's an egomaniac. He's a bad coach. 38 to 10? Hey, it's my Jags. I love to see my Jags win. I got them in the future, as you all know. Trevor Lawrence, six touchdowns, one pick on the season. Two and one. Wins against the Chargers and the Colts. Balling out. But come on, 38 to 10? You were never in the game. Herbert shouldn't have played to begin with. It would have looked better if you just take a loss with Chase Daniel at quarterback and say, you know what, we'll fight to we'll play next week and Herbert will be back. No. You lose 38 to 10 and you started Herbert, so now you're one and two. You, oh, you can't possibly sit him out in week four, because then you'll be one and three, and then there's mass panic with all four of those Charger fans. Because every Chargers home game is a road game for the Chargers. Another reason you're a week three loser. The Jags had more fans at that game than the Chargers. The Jags. Come on. Also AFC West, the Raiders. You have to be on this list of losers. And the reason is, you are the only winless team in the NFL. Some people might be saying it to their screen right now. Noah, you're wrong. There's Houston. Ha ha. Houston tied. They are not winless. They have a tie. That is different They went through an entire overtime period where they did not let the Colts score. They did not score either, but that is besides the point. Houston Texans have a tie. The Raiders have lost three games this season by a combined seven points. Seven points. They could easily be 3-0, but here's the twist of fate. They're not. They're 0-3. They're 0-3. Derek Carr, I like him. He looks terrible. Him and Devontae Adams are not on the same page. They can't run the ball. Josh McDaniels is meeting Lloyd Christmas, a.k.a. Mark Davis, for meetings after the game, closed-door meetings after three games as head coach. That sounds good. That sounds productive. That sounds healthy. That's what's going on in Vegas. Maybe they'll be meeting at P.F. Chang's. Mark Davis owns a number of them for a meal in the future. I don't know. But all I do know is that the Raiders are a mess right now. 0-3, your team stinks. Number one loser, AFC West. Denver, the only team that won this week. And guess what? They won, but they also lost because that offense was pathetic. And Russell Wilson, Nathaniel Hackett, get over yourself. You stink. Loser number two for week three, Arizona Cardinals. I almost threw Hollywood Brown on this list. But I thought it'd be too mean. So I did not throw Hollywood Brown. The Arizona Cardinals are a loser this week. Mainly because Marquise Hollywood Brown had 13 catches on Sunday for the Arizona Cardinals. 13. Sound like a lot. Over 140 yards receiving. In those 13 catches. In those 140 receiving yards. Hollywood Brown did not have a touchdown reception. It's kind of hard to do, 13 to 13 receptions. But just to even spin this forward, the Arizona Cardinals and Kyler Murray throwing the ball over 38 times, 13 of those to Hollywood Brown, they went the entire game 
putting up over 350 yards of offense, close to 400, and did not score a touchdown. They lost the game to the Rams 20-12 on the road. Four field goals for the Arizona Cardinals. For that offense, Cliff Kingsbury, the offensive genius, Kyler Murray, the quarterback, four field goals against your division rival at home, and not to mention you didn't cover the number. Los Angeles Rams, minus five and a half. Good bet if you bet on them. I didn't, but kudos if you did. Arizona, you stink. You just do. I mean, I, four field goals, over almost 400 yards of offense, four field goals. My God, good game for Matt Prater. I could have been in on my winners of week of week three. I won't. But Arizona, all that yardage, all those plays to Hollywood Brown. Hollywood, you're so much happier, right? You're free of Lamar Jackson. He didn't throw you the ball enough. You didn't drop enough. You got 13 catches this week, my friend. You got all the touches in the world. Guess what? You caught a hot L. Lamar Jackson is the best player in the NFL after the first three weeks of the NFL season. Period. He might be on my winner's list. We'll get there in a second. Loser, final loser of week three, Mac Jones. I like return of the Mac. He's not the greatest quarterback in the world. I know I'll hear some, some Patriots fans that are friends with me really hate this take for myself, but why is Mac Jones a loser this week? Well, a couple of reasons. Through three interceptions and the loss at Bal- uh, home to Baltimore, home opener for the Patriots, two of them completely his fault. Didn't look, didn't read through his reads, looking directly at the receiver he wants to throw the ball to, intercepted. One was in the end zone where the pass was basically just a Hail Mary, but the receiver was at the five-yard line. He threw it into the end zone. But not, he played a horrible game. But you have a three-interception game. Patriots offense stinks, pure usual. And then on the last play of the game, you have a high ankle sprain that may require surgery and looks like the Patriots season's over. If that doesn't scream bad week, I don't know what will. Three interceptions, you're injured, your team's one and two, and now you go to Green Bay. You're on to Green Bay, as Belichick would say. The Patriots, Mac Jones, this organization was able to keep this afloat last season. They were able to make the playoffs. They were able to get a wild card spot. They had some people believing that they could win the wild card game against the big, bad Buffalo Bills. Now, they were crushed by about 40 points, but they kept off the illusion that the New England Patriots were still a team that was formidable, that was a threat. Those days are over. Like the team I just mentioned, like Mac Jones, the Patriots are going to be losers this year. But for all the Patriots fans out there that are upset with me saying this, it's a good thing. You need a high draft pick. Hopefully it's not Bill Belichick making that draft pick because he seems to swing and miss on most of them. Past number of drafts, he hasn't been drafting well. Is he the genius? Of course. Is he the best coach of all time? Nobody's debating that. But has he been drafting well? Has he been bringing in good pieces? Does he draft good receivers? Ask Nikhil Harry. He's on the injured reserve in Chicago. Sound, sound like he's a good patriot? Not really. Winners, week three. 
So, winners of week three, I'm starting with the AFC South. Other than the Houston Texans, the AFC South went 3-1. and one. The AFC West, which was lauded as, even by some, I even might have said it in the offseason, that the AFC West was the best division in football. AFC, AFC West went 1-3. and three. Broncos won that game against the 49ers. That's a loss, 0-4. It's a win, but it's a loss, because that game was a loss. AFC South, Jacksonville goes to the Superchargers in Los Angeles, crushes them, 38-10. Good win. Colts at home to the Chiefs, beat beat the best player in football. Colts, big win, good one. Titans home to the Raiders, 2-0-2 teams. You're not the only winless team in the NFL. Ryan Tannehill, Derrick Henry get on the same page. Titans, 24-22. AFC South. 3-1 Three and one in week three. AFC South, come on. Who's the real Slim Shady? Is the AFC South the best division, or is it the AFC West? I don't know. Colts one one and one. Titans one and two. Jags two and one. As the Jags prepare to play the Eagles in week four. Doug Peterson revenge game in Philadelphia. Sounds spicy? Because it is. But AFC South week three, absolute great week. You could not put them on the list. They're winners. Number two, L. Jack, a.k.a. Lamar Jackson. L. Jack, four tubs, four throwing touchdowns this week. One rushing touchdown, one interception, but five total touchdowns, and he is leading the NFL in touchdown passes. He is fourth in the NFL in rushing yards. And if you look at his MVP season, he's on pace to have more passing yards. He's on pace to have more passing touchdowns. He's on pace to have more rushing yards in in this season than he did when he won the MVP. Not to mention, he keeps sticking it to Steve Bashotti and the Baltimore Ravens organization. And he's sticking it to Bill Poley, and he's sticking to every person that thought that he couldn't play quarterback in the NFL. I'll repeat this. Through three weeks, Lamar Jackson is the best player in the NFL. Not even looking at three weeks, he was already one of the best players in the NFL before that. Who's been better than Lamar? I'll wait. Trevor Lawrence? Maybe. I'll still take Lamar. Tua? I'll still take Lamar. Yeah, Tua might have beat him. You can blame Marcus Peters for that. Jalen Hurts? Right there. It's been really good. I'll take Lamar. L. Jack is lighting up the NFL. Baltimore is a good team. Just talked about the AFC South with the Jags having a really good game this coming weekend. How about Baltimore? Hosting the Bills. Bills coming off their epic loss to the Fish. Does it sound like a game you might want to watch? Bills-Ravens? I might tune in. But Lamar Jackson, balling out. Rashad Bateman, becoming a reliable target. I love Devin DuVernay. Great returner. He's also caught a great touchdown. Mark Andrews is still a stud. They'll blend in Isaiah Likely. This team is great on offense. Defense, get it together. 
But offensively, Lamar is doing his thing and he is showing up and showing out after three weeks. I don't do early MVP stuff, especially after three games. It's asinine. It's stupid. But if there was one, it would be Lamar Jackson. Finally, last winner for week three. It is the Miami Dolphins. The Miami Dolphins are 3-0. But they are winners in week three because they beat the team that is the best team in the NFL. The Bills, the big bad Bills, the 20-0 Bills, the Dolphins beat them. They covered the number. They outright won. However you want to frame it, the Dolphins won this week. They won in so many ways. They got a lot of Buffalo Bills to puke on the sideline. They got Stephon Diggs to cramp. They won a game where the Bills ran 90 offensive plays and Josh Allen threw the ball 63 times. They only possessed the ball 19 minutes. They won a football game. They won a game in where their quarterback suffered a concussion and then was able to come back in. That hasn't been proven. That's just me saying it because I think we all know what happened on that play. But they were such winners this week that they allowed it to happen. That it occurred. 90 offensive plays, 239. Over double the plays, and you win a game. How does that happen? I don't know. Tua hits Jalen Waddle. Beautiful throw. The Miami Dolphins haven't been 3-0 since Dan Marino was their quarterback. The Miami Dolphins haven't been this fun since Dan Marino was their quarterback. You beat Baltimore, you beat the Bills back-to-back weeks. Two of the best teams in the AFC. You deserve all the praise. Tua Tagovailoa answering the critics' questions. How about that throw to Jalen Waddle? Pretty good. Pretty good. Tyreek Hill getting involved in the offense. Mike McDaniel. Dolphins are the week are another week three winner because of what they're doing. How they play this week? I don't think they're gonna play that well. We'll talk about that tomorrow because we got Dolphins, Cincinnati, Thursday night football. Just three just four days after the Dolphins played in that wretched heat. Their defense has to be running on fumes. That offense needs to put themselves on the field tomorrow night in Cincinnati, or it will be a lopsided score, in my mind, for the Dolphins. But they are a week three winner. But I talked for this weekend, just looking ahead. You got Bills, Ravens, Commies against the Cowboys. We got Titans, Colts, AFC South, just running the table. Jags at the Eagles. And this game is interesting to me just for one reason Broncos, Raiders. Somebody has to win it. Broncos are two and one. They are the worst. No, scratch that. The no, they are the worst two and one team because I'll put the Bears ahead of them. I said it yesterday. I'm sticking with it. The Bears are a better two and one team than the Broncos. But one of these two teams, the Broncos or the Raiders, has to win a football game. Yes, it's true. And they play. Will the Raiders be zero and four after all those trades, all those moves? I don't know yet. But it could happen, and then you're stuck and looking at the situation. And before we wrap today, I talked about the Chargers. They could have been a loser because they were, yeah, they're always, but I put AFC West in. Joey Bosa, another Charger 
just announced he is heading to the injured reserve, meaning he'll miss a minimum of four games. You have Rashawn Slater, the all-pro left tackle, is out for the season. Herbert's got injured ribs. J.C. Jackson is hurt at corner. Disaster in Los Angeles for the Chargers. One and two. I think they have the Texans this weekend, so they do get a an easy week four matchup following their blowout loss to the Jags. But no Joey Bosa, their best, best pass rusher. No Rashawn Slater, who the blind side who protects their quarterback, who's also their best their best offensive lineman. And your quarterback, the most important position on the field, has bad ribs. Rib cartilage tears. Sounds good. Sounds productive. Sounds like it's going to work out. Maybe not. That kills the Chargers. They they are still a good team without them, but Keenan Allen's returning to practice. But he seems to always find two to three injuries a season. They really can't do without him right now. They also lost Jalen Guyton yesterday. He tore his ACL. He's out for the season. You're losing receivers. You didn't have great receivers to begin with. You'll have Palmer. You'll have Keenan Allen if he returns. You'll have Mike Williams. But you don't have a whole lot of depth there. You can't replace an all-pro left tackle. Your center is banged up. And Corey Lindsley, he left the game last week against the Jags. He might miss this weekend and or more. I mean, center, left tackle, corner, injured quarterback, and D and D lineman. That that's as important as it gets. Also, Kenneth Murray Jr. the third got hurt in the game of the linebacker. There's a black cat on this team when it comes to injuries, and it's it's come out again because the Chargers are decimated. I feel for them. It would make it only more impressive if Brandon Staley can find a way to, to get this team to, to the playoffs. Find a way to beat the Broncos in, in you know one of these games. You play them twice, you play the Chiefs once more, and you play the, the Raiders once more in the division. But tough, tough news for, for the Los Angeles Chargers. Now, tomorrow on the show, going to preview the Metropolitan Division in the NHL. That's coming on the show tomorrow. Do that. We're going to preview Thursday Night Football with the, with Cincinnati Bengals and the Miami Dolphins. So that is happening tomorrow. If Aaron Judge hits a home run, you know we'll talk about it. We'll wait and see on that. Any other big news in the sports world, we will touch on it tomorrow, Thursday show. Friday should be on a little earlier Friday. We will Walker's going to join me. We'll recap Thursday night football game. We'll also get into the betting angles heading into week four and week five of the uh, week four of the NFL and week five of the college football season. So enjoy your Wednesday evening, Wednesday evening, everybody. Thank you for spending uh, a little bit of time with me here at, at to the point. And as always take care and this is to the point.